This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jeannie B. Thank you, Nikki. Good evening. I'm Jeannie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jeannie. I want to thank Leslie for asking me to speak. It's an honor to come and speak at an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And I'm also a miracle standing up here. Everything that I'm about to tell you is a result of living a 12-step way of life. Imperfectly, by the way. Imperfectly. So let me get some numbers out of the way here. I've been an Overeaters Anonymous for 20 and a half years. I'm maintaining a 120-pound weight loss. Um, it used to be 130, but it's uh, post-menopause season, and, I, and uh, I'm, I'm 60 years old. So, um, and if I look 60, I, uh, some doctors owe me some money back because uh, <laughs> I have a few guys on the payroll making sure I don't look 60. <laughs> and now I just do it just to fight father time. I did it before 20 years ago trying to be skinny. So uh, my home group uh, is in northern Michigan right now. I currently live there. It's about 10 degrees with 100 inches of snow. It's beautiful, by the way. I lived there 10 years, but I got absent in this area, uh, in the Santa Monica area. And in my experience, this is the apex of Overeaters Anonymous. I want to welcome this young lady over here. It's her second OA meeting, and welcome to you. And I want to congratulate Lisa also on five years. It's remarkable. You're an inspiration to me, very much so. Anyone who, who achieves a day of abstinence uh, is an inspiration to me. And everything I say, of course, is just for today, and it's subject to change tomorrow, because for those of you who have no hope of reaching 20 or 20 and a half years, it's only a day at a time, which I'm so happy. If it wasn't a day at a time, I wouldn't be able to achieve, or I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing tonight. So, um, let's see. I'm not going to speak. I'm going to take some questions, if possible. I'm just going to kind of go through my what it was like. Um, I was born a compulsive overeater. That's it from the get-go. As I said, I'm 60, and I remember food that was served at my first communion in first grade, you know, in 1956. And I grew up in this tiny coal mining, poverty-stricken hometown of Pennsylvania. We were very poor. My father was a coal miner. And we went out to the farm every weekend and played at my grandfather's farm and also uh, butchered animals, um, played with the chickens, cows, chased the cows. I mean, I was the only one in Pacific Palisades when I lived there that could uh, catch a chicken, kill it, Clean it, cook it, and eat it, you know, in the Palisades. Of course, I didn't have the opportunity up there, but um, and I could still probably do it if I had to, but now I could hardly do it. So that was my life. It was an idyllic, you know, through a certain pair of glasses, an idyllic life. Small town, poverty-stricken. We had, as Dolly Parton says, we had very little money, but we were very wealthy. And they filmed two very famous movies near my hometown, which will give you an idea of where I came from. One was filmed 25 years ago. It was called The Deer Hunter. Bob De- Robert De Niro, 
And it's still like that today. You go to weddings in my hometown today, you have 300-pound women dancing with 300-pound women on the dance floor, and the guys are out in the corner in the back near the, near the bar uh, drinking out of the keg, and the girls are hanging around at the cake table. Then the women are dancing with women. They still do that today. And the other movie they filmed near my hometown was a movie titled Witness with Harrison Ford. So about an hour from me was this idyllic Amish country. And that's where I grew up. And I was born out of the gate, get-go, a compulsive overeater. But before I took my first compulsive bite of my life, I would say, I was mentally and bodily different than my fellow man. Even at six years old, I was different. I felt I was smarter than my parents. Um, I was a born sneak, very sharp. This is, I'm a legend in my own mind, but I did. I used to lie uh, around and run circles around my parents. And I, I was a born sneak, a liar, a fabricator. And, that's, and I had to do that in many ways to survive our home. My dad was a hard-working coal miner, but my mother was a rageaholic. And if my mother woke up in a bad mood in the morning, a bad mood in the morning, we got it. You know, the, the Broadway tune of Mama Ain't Happy, Ain't Nobody Happy. That's how our home was. And I was the target in my home. Now, I'm going to tell you something here, and don't think badly of my mother. It's just my biography. I was born this, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. I was different than my brothers and sisters. And my mother could not handle me. She was this coal, mining, coal miner's wife, very little education, high school, very wonderful provider, but she was not, you know, a, I mean, she just, she didn't have anything, that ability to be a mother like we have today, because all these educational programs and books and stuff, this was, we're talking 1950, and um, she was a slave on her farm when she was a girl, so naturally she had nothing else to carry down, but I was very incorrigible, and she could hardly handle me, and I just had this wild side to me, and so when my father went to the coal mines to work for the day, once in a while, she would lock me in this dark cellar. And I'm terrified of the dark today because of that. I mean, I was like this. I was scratching on the door and crying. And she's up there watching Days of Our Lives, mixing cake mixes for dinner. And it was it's a, a memory that hasn't left me. I'm very terrified of the dark. But because of OA, let me quickly add this. Um, I'm a good daughter to my mom today. I, I, I had a lucrative career, so I provide her many things. SUVs, remodel her house. And, and I'm a good daughter to my mom. She had only what She only could work with what she had. And as my Eskimo in this program used to say, I don't hold any person, place, thing, or idea responsible for me being a compulsive overeater. I just think I was born that way. I am mentally and bodily different. If I have one candy bar today, um, I have to have 64. It's like throwing gas on a campfire. And I have an emotional disorder. My perception meter is screwed up. I'm self-centered. And my perception meter must be recalibrated every morning because it still does, which I'll, I will get to. And lastly, I think I had a spiritual malady. I mean, I know I did because the world evolved around me no matter what was going on. I'd watch far-off events. I was so hooked on CNN. I knew everything, anytime, anybody, any place. I have a semi-photographic memory. I have meaningless information floating around in my mind up here. It doesn't do me any good, but I do know it. And um, I know anyone wants to hear about it. So that's it. Physical allergy, a mental, I mean a mental obsession, and also an emotional disorder. And that's what made me a compulsive overeater. And I was an environment, because there's people in my hometown that grew up in my same, same family kind of structure, and they're out there normal. So I came to California. My dad was killed in the coal mines when I was 16 years old, which threw us into more severe poverty. And my, uh, my ideas of a higher education were dashed. So um, I came to California, and 
and I've just developed my uh, compulsive overeating more. And I gained and lost 700 pounds before I came into OA. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. My closet went from a size 4 to a size 24. And it all depended on what day of the year, what, what day it was, what time of the year. Was I uh, fasting and starving myself for an event, a blind date, which were very rare, a wedding, a class reunion, a wedding in my hometown to go back and impress everybody. And that was my life. And because I just ate. And I was either a 260-pound, poison-spewing, self-hating wish slithering around the earth, or I would ratchet it down and be a 118-pound, poison-spewing, self-hating wish uh, slithering around the world. So my idea was, you know what was happening to me? I mean, I found this out later, but I'll fill, I'll fill in those spaces as I go on, is I was working on the wrong body part. <laughs> I was working on my taste buds and recipes and my stomach. And when, in fact, the most important body part to, uh, to help me live a day at a time in this disease is my mind. Because it's a threefold disease. I went to, I had a blank checkbook because of my career. And um, I went to doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, psychiatrists, nutritionists, fat farms, cosmetic surgeons, clairvoyants, psychics, shishi, poo resorts. Um, I've had body parts cut off of me that I missed today, and I'm sorry I did. And I also have artificial implants in me today, and they're not where women traditionally get artificial implants. If you want to know where they are, ask me after the meeting. But, you know, with a, a cosmetic surgeon and a blank check is a very, and a, and a compulsive overeater is a very dangerous combination, very dangerous combination. And um, thank God uh, they, don't, they didn't have those things in my day that they currently have now, or I'd be, I could be dead, I don't know. So I got a job in this particular finance, high finance. I'll cut to the chase on that. And I was 260 pounds. And as I said, I was angry. Of course, angry. I was this rager. You know, I am not a physically violent person, but my tongue should be registered at the police department. I mean, it should have a serial number on it because I am a verbal abuser. Verbal. I mean, I can destroy people, and I have verbally. I mean, I just have this vicious... Linda Blair exorcist that comes out of me, you know, head spinning, vomit, and I do have that in me today, and thank God I haven't exercised it in years, no pun intended, but because a day at a time, you know, I have to hand my will and my life over to God. So I'm getting fat, uh, starving, getting heavy, starving. Um, I would come into my office Monday morning at 260 pounds in the summer, uh, down here in Santa Monica, 3rd Street Promenade, and, you know, underwear cutting, my, you know, pin, my pants pinned together, I'm hot, I just finished the weekend binging, and I come flying in the door like Cruella DeVille with all these capes and everything. And these poor secretaries and girls, they would dive under their desks. Because I was a witch, and I was very powerful in that office. People, like, just like I did with my mother, you know, watching for her moods, um, they watched for my moods. I'd come in there spewing fire, and they would all dive under their desk. Six months later, I'd come in there Monday morning skinny, because I just finished starving for six months. And remember, I'm that same person, fat or skinny, and I'd come flying in the door on Monday morning, you know, bones, starving myself, and they'd all fly under their desk because I was just, you know, if you looked at me cross-eyed, I'd go to the manager. I was just so very sick. And um, I went through secretaries like paper towels because I was just so angry with myself. You know, the worst thing for a compulsive overeater is, is binging, but the worst, worst thing than that, more worse, is binging with and not binging. I was really terrible when I was not eating because I had no tools for living. 
I had nothing with which to help me get through the day. I used to stand in front of my refrigerator and look for an answer to my life. And I just could not, was mentioned today at the birthday party, which I had the honor of speaking at as well, is the fact that, you know, I just, when I started eating compulsively, which was a very long time ago as a child, my emotional maturity froze in its tracks. Even though I am 60, I probably have the emotional maturity of maybe a teenager, I don't know. But I can know that I do not respond to events, crises, tragedies like a normal person. Like, okay, well, you know, buck up, carry my own water. I don't do that, but thank God I have the 12 steps to help me face that. So I'm in this career, 260, size 24, 118, size 4. You know, and it went 4, 6. I would go from, let's say, 260 down to 120, back up to 180, 110. I mean, all over the place. And I'm paying these teenage girls at these diet centers to tell me how to eat. You know, and then they give you these big trash bags full of like two weeks worth of food to anybody who's been there. I'd eat like those two weeks worth of food in like three days. And I had, oh my God, I have nothing to eat for the next ten days. But, you know, it goes to show you how long that lasted with me. Because what OA gave me, I mean, and I, have a, I had a wall of these self-help books. How to, how not to, perfect recipes, low-fat recipes, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I know all that. I'm a food wizard, a nutritional wizard. But what OA has given me is the power to apply that knowledge. I lost my power. My brake switch is broken. I have no power to do any of that that I desire to do today as far as food and also my reaction to life throughout the day goes. My, I just, my brake switch just blew out years ago. If I, I cannot predict my behavior if I have one M&M today. My absolute black and white abstinence is zero refined sugar, no recreational sugar. If I have one M&M today, I can't take could have a bag for the, every day and not get hurt. Or I just might just say goodbye and I'll be back up over my highest weight. Because every time I did lose weight, I lost it, and I'm very good at getting skinny, but I always gained it back and more. And I was a prisoner of my own body. You know, for those of you who understand that, I mean, I'm a vibrant, exuberant, enthusiastic, and I always was in many ways, and I'm a voracious reader. I traveled around the world by the time I was 12 years old, even though we were very poor, in books. And I could not even express my knowledge or my, thing, my ideas about any of that because no one wants to talk to a fat person, I'm talking, especially in Southern California. So I was a prisoner in my own body. And I'd be on, as I said, I'd be a size 6, like, white bikini, you know, exhibitionist when I got thin, right? Because I didn't stay thin very long. I'd be down in Will Rogers Beach or something in a size 6 bikini in July. And the following December, I'd be in a size 20 black black velvet moomoo at a Christmas party with a poinsettia corsage on me. That's how I would change appearances. On a dime, I'd say, okay, eat. I was held hostage by my disease, the rapacious creditor that knocks on my door and um, says, it's time to get up, it's time to go. I don't care what you have planned in your life today. You will be eating. I don't care if your mother's dying, you have a job to do, you're going to meet a client, tough shitsky, as they say in Russia. Um, you will be eating, honestly. So, and that's, that was my life. I was held hostage by compulsive overeating. I missed out on so much of life because of my large body. And even when I was skinny, 118, which I don't weigh that today, I weigh like 140, but post-menopause, I'm 60. So. Um, but I still have a distorted body image. I almost canceled my trip coming out because I thought I was too fat to come and carry the message. True story, because it's a disease of the mind. Thank God I have a sponsor. But um, So I would have friends come through town and say, Jeannie, hey, guess what? 
We're down here in LAX for about a three-hour layover to Tokyo. Come on down. Have a drink. This was like years ago before a program. I would say, oh, my God. I just gained, guess what I did before, before, since I last saw them? Got fat. I gained 80 pounds. I say, I can't. I broke my leg. My mother has terminal illness. Um, I have cancer. My house burned out. I made up all kinds of excuses because I didn't want them to see me heavy. And I used to hide in the house and not come home. And like I'd go to my poverty-stricken hometown, and I would starve for months and go back there with like, I look like, I can't tell you, but anyway, like a Las Vegas showgirl. Um, you know, the glitter, the furs, the knee-high glitter boots and all that. And, you know, these poor coal mining, common, beautiful people back in this town like Hooterville, they're looking at me like, she is a nutcase. I would starve to get skinny. And then one year I planned this big trip and I had my wardrobe all ready. I always bought clothes that I would fit in down the road, right? I'll buy it today. I'll fit. One year I didn't lose the weight and I could not go back to Christmas because I just could not go back fat. And so that was it. I was a prisoner in my own body. And when I was thin, I was a prisoner in my own mind. I just lived in prison, prison, prison. So fast forward to um, 19, well, this is, this is how I lived, period. And so and I would wake up in the morning and sometimes the four horsemen of apocalypse would be down there the big black stallion blowing fire out of their nostrils. You are worthless, hopeless, you're fat, blah, 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 but you're not going to amount to anything. And I was already down for the count. I lived in bed so often, because so much, because my vacations were, people went to Hawaii, Tahiti, you know where I went? To bed and binge. That was me. That was my vacation. I'd take days off, drop a drink, disconnect the phone, and order the pizza and the videotapes, and I'd eat all of my stuff, sugar, salt, sugar, salt, which were my favorites, pass out, wake up, the video's all done, I have to rewind it all over again. And the pizza guy was at my house so often, I almost had to buy him a Christmas gift one year, because I got to know him personally, you know, it was like very interesting, he came to my house so many times, the pizza guy. And so what happened, what sent me to OA is suicide. I was not my heaviest, but I had to go. Because there was no solution left for an eater like me on this planet. Because money did not help me. I thought, well, at one time I had a personal chef, a trainer, a cosmetic surgeon, a beautician, and a therapist. Now, don't you think that would get me through life? I was the worst, the saddest, the most depressed, the angriest person when I had all those people. Because I didn't have an out. They did not provide for me what food provided for me, which was... Escape from reality, portable vacation, it coated the nerves. It took the edge off of the reality of life. It helped me procrastinate when I didn't even know I was procrastinating. And I would make mountains out of molehills, and I would ignore mountains that I should have been attending to. You know, it's in our literature. I broke a nail I used to call suicide prevention. Now I go to a nail salon. Or if I had a car that needed oil, I would run it till the damn engine blew up. I know it was just such... So just chaos in my life. And it was all started from me. It was initiated by me. And, you know, my life, had I had to get out of here because there was not an answer for an eater like me. I've been to all those places. My, my, the yellow pages in my phone book were dog-eared. I went through them like there's got to be one more clinic, one more doctor that knows my agony. I'm like, I went to these big Shishi Beverly Hills nutritionists. And, by the way, all the professionals that I mentioned – there's a, there's a place in the world for all of them, by the way. They just didn't touch my compulsive overeating disease. They helped me very much. And, I mean, these doctors would say, oh, here's the recipe. Well, I have tons of health, beautiful, healthy recipes. I just didn't have the power, as I said earlier, to apply them. Fast forward. June of 89. 
my two best girlfriends in the world, 20-year friends. We got fat together, we got skinny together. One died of childhood diabetes from compulsive overeating, and my other girlfriend took her life. Because she could not face. I saw her at like 118, she was 5, but when we buried her, she was 360 pounds. We had to cremate her because they don't make caskets wider than 24 inches. And, you know, they kind of like break all the bones, I guess, to get you in there. And so, I, how do you think I grieved? I jumped in bed and I binged. And then someone called me and said, you should try Overeaters Anonymous. I was planning my suicide to follow these girls. Number one, no one knew me like these girls knew me, like you do, because they were fellow compulsive overeaters. My buddies were gone. My soulmates were gone. And two, there was nothing left out there for me to pay for. I'd been through all that. And so I had to go. And I didn't want to go. I did not want to go. It was my friend, but it was yet destroying me. So I went to an OA meeting on 23rd and Wilshire by the lawn bowling place, that little clubhouse up there. And I found all of you. I found all of you who know the agonies and the ecstasies of compulsive overeating, the self-hate, the self-centeredness, the low self-esteem, the self-flagellation, the grandiosity. And I got into this program, and I knew I was home. I knew I found my home. I wasn't my heaviest, but I was my craziest, so I postponed my suicide. I came and I saw you people, and you understood me, and you were saying things that I thought no one else thought of but me. It was coming out of your mouth. And I said, these are my people. This is my tribe. And just like the guy in the big book said, this was going to be my way of life. And I went home, and I binged my brains out because I knew it was going to be my last binge because I was going to join this way of life. And I did. I got a sponsor immediately. A sponsor is crucial because a sponsor knows what's what's good for me better than I do. She overrides my judgment and my thinking. She gets me to take actions that I do not yet believe in. That's a sponsor. And she talks me back from my insanity. And she busts me, pulls my covers. I rely on her. We're not buddies. She's my teacher, my mentor. And, you know, it's like my friend used to say in this, my sick mind that got me to 260 cannot be the same mind that gets me recovered. I can take that big book and interpret it any way I want to interpret it so it'll, you know, skew my way. I'll find a really good answer in there for my own sick mind. And so the body part I now work on, so here I am, I got abstinent, worked the steps, I do service, I did service then, and I lived in northern Michigan now for the previous 10 years, but I'm back here like two or three times a year. And I continue to take the actions that I did when I first came in. Because my disease is worse today than when I came in. It was all about my taste buds and my appetite and my stomach. I wouldn't be standing up here. It's just that my mind will kill me. The other two parts of this program are so clear. The mental obsession, the physical and the the emotional and the spiritual, I must arrest. I want to arrest every day for the 12 steps, my sponsor meetings. I sponsor writing and all the tools I take care of those two parts of my disease so the third one does not pop up and grab me, which is excess food. If I'm overeating or have an inappropriate choice or portion, that is the end of a slip for me. I did not do something recently with my spiritual and my emotional disorders to take care of that binge. My taste buds will not drive me to a bite. My mind will. And my perception meter, I must recalibrate it every morning. I want to. I keep saying must. I want to. The rewards I found in this program, I can't even begin to tell you. I used to, I could not even have a relationship with the goldfish. I had to get rid of them. And I used to have plastic plants in my house. And then I graduated to silk plants. 
because I figured, well, that's a step up. And uh, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I began to date this one man, and he dragged me down the aisle 12 years ago. And I've been married to, like, a human being. I mean, you know, a human being talks fluent English and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm getting at is 24-7 I'm with this person. I used to, I could, I used to like, I'll meet you there in two hours and i got to jump. You know, I used to have, like, these fake deepers. I mean, I just could not have a relationship with anybody for many reasons, which I don't need to go into. But this program has given me so much. And, I mean, material abundance, yes. But what's given me is peace with myself. I don't hate myself anymore. I recognize my faults, and I just embrace them because they're always going to be there. But I'm not afraid that they're going to overtake me and send me back to a size 24 because I have tools today. I have the literature. I have meetings. I have all of you. I have the fellowship to save me from going out in the ledge now and overeating. And, you know, that's just a step away from me. I only have just a few hours to stay abstinent today. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of dying from compulsive overeating. I mean, that's easy. But I'm afraid to go back out there and live in it. Because if I go up to 260, 300, my next four, I mean, I just won't have the guts to kill myself. It's worse living in it than being dead. And so, you know, that's my routine today. So currently where I live, OA is, but it's not what these meetings are here. Um, you know, they're very abundant here. And I started a couple of meetings back where I live. It was either very different from us, northern Michigan, wonderful people. But, you know, we're out here, we're jumping around enthusiastic, all this showbiz Hollywood stuff. But, and, um, but what I'm getting at is, I, it was, when I moved back there, I just said, like, oh, my God, I'll never make it. So um, I started two meetings. It was like, get busy living or get busy dying. And somebody, I heard, I heard a couple of phrases today uh, at OA. One was, or the birthday party, one said, it's too late when it's on the plate. I love that. I like that. And, you know, I do plan my food today, and I weigh and measure. Still, 20, I mean, I had to start doing it about a year and a half ago. You know, just because 20 and a half years, um, I say that because I've been marching to the 12-step way of life. But it does, it's not like a, this is not a contest of time. It's not a college course. It's not like the thinnest person in the room is not the most recovered. The fattest person in this room is not the sickest. This is just a way of life for a person like me. And I had, a, you know, I had an emotional relapse this past summer. Not physical, an emotional relapse. And I had to get it, not get it together. I was sponsorless for a little while. And um, I knew that I could not talk myself into recovery. I cannot spend a lot of time alone with myself because I can convince myself of anything. So I got a sponsor this summer, and I feel really good about that. And, I, you know, I get busted, and, and it's wonderful. I feel very safe. I feel safe in this fellowship. Because no one knows me like other compulsive overeaters. I could talk to anyone of you after the meeting and we'd be soulmates immediately. So the joys of Overeaters Anonymous in the previous 20 and a half years. Here's me. I used to gain 80 pounds over a new president. Because I hated, I hated their guts. I couldn't stand them. I mean, I don't know who the hell it was. Then. Can you imagine that's how, how self-centered involved I was? So in the previous 20 and a half years, I've had the most unbelievable good fortunes have happened to me in all areas. And I have yet to gain or lose more than 10 pounds, or even 8 pounds. On the flip side of that, some of the most unspeakable tragedies have happened to me in the previous 20 and a half years. And I have yet to gain or lose more than 8 or 10 pounds. And it's not me. Believe me. I, have a, I didn't, didn't touch on this, but I want to really close with, I have a, well, I try to, every day, to develop and perfect my spiritual connection. I will never perfect it, which keeps me personally occupied for the rest of my life. You know, it says in the bottom of page 14, it says, 
for if an alcoholic for a compulsive overeater fails to enlarge his spiritual life, he will be eventually unable to handle the highs and lows of life, and he will eventually eat. And that's me. So how do I do, how do I enlarge my spiritual condition? I'm nice when I don't want to be. I don't say what I want to say. I don't say what I'm thinking. Um, I'm nice to strangers. I was a pioneer of road rage. I now let people in front of me. And I'm courteous, even to people that I think are too slow in the stores, and I'm in a hurry, and don't they know who I am? And I, I'm, not the, I mean, I'm not a great person today, but I'm a better person than when I came in here 20 and a half years ago. And I'm aware of the dangers of me. I'm aware of the dangerous characteristics in me that could kill me. The best thing I ever did was get through, that, through the fourth step because it gave me, it sounds so California, but it's true. It gave me a roadmap to Jeannie. I never knew what the hell I was about. I know what's, what's wrong. My, my characteristics say that will pull me off the track. And I get to be a room. It's like going down a familiar highway. You know the potholes. You're going to go around them now. You know them. So I know my potholes. Which we have more in Michigan than we do here. But, and that's the program for me. It's a day that I get more out of OA than I ever did in, uh, at the bottom of a bag or the end of a pizza box. And when I stop having it's more fun in here than I did binging, I'll go back to binging. But I haven't yet, you know, a day at a time for the previous 20 and a half years. Life is just so rewarding because, and sometimes it's really sad and I'm angry, but I'm never sad and angry with my higher power, which I call God. Never, ever. Whatever he puts in my life was meant to be, but I just work around it. But it's fun to be sad and angry because when I was binging in 260, I never had a feeling. I couldn't tell you what a feeling was. So I sort of celebrate those feelings now, even when they're not very positive, because that's life. So I want to close now and have uh, answer, just answer uh, any questions you might have, but, you know, OA is the life for me. It's never crossed my mind to not be in this program. I intend to be here, where's the wood, knock on wood, um, a day at a time for as long as I live. And when I go back to Michigan now, I'm going to um, start another OA meeting, because we need it. So I live now, it's about 10 degrees, 100 inches of snow, and it's fabulous, and I love it because I've embraced the weather. Because of the serenity prayer, can I make 100 inches of snow disappear? No. I cannot change that. So I embrace it. I adopted a standard poodle. She pulls me on a sled. We're out there mushing. And I have my little bunny, uh, you know, Aspen uh, ski clothes on. It's like I'm going to Aspen, for God's sake, and all these cute little scarves and furs and all that kind of stuff. We're going down the trail, and the neighbors go, what poodle is that? But, you know, it's, a, it's just really a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I have bad moments. But they're not as long and deep as they once were. And they're not as often. And they might return. You know, it's just up and down in this program. But I know I'll always feel safe because I'll return to all of you and to recovery. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared. I'm not like that. And our literature says that leaf blowing around in the driveway on a fall day, whichever the wind blows, that's where I am. No way. I have an anchor every day. I feel very safe in this life every day. And um, with that, I want to close. So thank you so much. Questions? Yes, sir. Uh, you said that your bottom line abstinence was the no recreational hunger. Twenty and a half years. Is there any food or behavior that you sometimes indulge in to cope the nerves today? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, the question is, um, you know, since I don't have refined sugar, is there any uh, food that I indulge in today to cope the nerves? Yes. Yes. Um, it is carbs. I will go to harmless carbs. Like for an example, at lunch I'll have. Uh, a bag of, can I, can I mention food out here? I'll just have a bag of those pretzels, harmless. It's like eating wood, but, you know, I'll do that. I'll go to the cards. I try not to have bread of any kind, but I will do that, certainly. 
And, you know, I do have to coat the nurse once in a while. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm not eating tofu or alfalfa sprouts or any of that, the rabbit food. And I do want to add regarding that, I eat more today at this weight than I did when I weighed 260. I've traveled all over the world in abstinence. And I have more choices. It's a one, I'm out of prison. Did that answer your question? Sure. Yes, sir. Somebody back here? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Jean. Um, you mentioned writing as a tool. Can you Writing? Yeah. Yes, I can. Uh, writing is a tool. So what I do is I have, a, a, like, you know, committees in my head. Like, you know, what do you call them? Hamsters in a wheel. And I'll take a thought, and I'll have a thought on Monday that's like a little ladybug on my shoulder. And then if I don't get it on paper by Friday, and then it turns into a tarantula on Wednesday. You know, just the thought. And then Saturday night, it's this goddamn multi-organ octopus that has just been just taken me over. If I, so I get it on paper, it gets it just like empties my head out, and it's a sentence that I can actually see. It's a tangible thing. I can actually look at those words and go, "That's it. I hated so and so since high school." And I spent all this time on that. And you know what it does? It has a beginning and it has an end. And then I can actually pick that if you so choose. Or sometimes I choose and call somebody and read them that sentence and I'm done. I'm over with. Get it? I must get it out of my head. Because my head, as I said, can't be the same. The head that got me a 260 can't be the same head that's going to get me in recovery. I get it on paper and I look, boy, is that a dumb thing to gain 30 pounds over. I haven't been in high school for 40 damn years and I'm still obsessed over here. What the hell is that about? Okay. Yes, Mike. Uh, hi. hi, Jeannie. Thank you very much. You mentioned how still you, you, things like the dark, your relationship with the dark today and your relationship with the dark as a child. How do you deal to this day with sudden onsets of fear? You know, fear? Yeah, fear in this. Just fear in life? Fear in Yeah, that, that's a good question. How do I deal with fear in life? Well, you know, I'm not too afraid today. It's, I mean, I don't want to call my polyan or anything, but... I, Looking back over the 20 and a half years that I've had a relationship to my higher power, things have turned out. Some of the worst crises have turned into the best things that ever happened to me, and some of the most unbelievable good fortune has turned into, like, the biggest nightmares. Like, you know, be careful what you pray for. It's like Bobby E. used to say, you know, please help me accept the seemingly good, and please help me accept the seemingly bad. When I'm afraid, I turn to my higher power and my God. Please help me. And why am I afraid? I play out the tape. Why am I afraid? I'm going to lose my lifestyle, my husband will die, my dog will get killed. Why? What am I really afraid? I play out the tape so I can really come to the end of the road and see why am I afraid. I'm going to be poor, I'll live in a tent in the woods, whatever. And then I, st- and then I just do the footwork. And I just, I'll just i go like this. When I used to meet butthead clients in Beverly Hills 20 years ago, I was terrified, scared. And I would send God in the, in the room with me. I'd say, look, I'm not going to be in front of a firing squad t- tomorrow, tonight. They're not going to kill me. I can go in there and do it if I have God with me. The whole thing is God for me. It really is. Yes, ma'am. How do you use the 12 steps to heal your relationship with your mom? Oh, well, first of all, um, I looked at it. I got out of myself. I, I never went back there and had this confrontation. You locked me in the cellar. And by the way, she physically pounded on me a lot. You know what I did? I got out of myself, and I looked at at it from my mother's point of view. Um, She's in another generation. She had a horrible childhood, and she could not fix it. She did not fix it. They did not have the tools available for her that they did for me. And so I just, I gave her the benefit of the doubt. 
because it hurts me more to carry this around, resenting and hating my mother, than it does extending kindness, charity, and love towards her. Now, we don't have a clo- we're, not, we're not really a close relationship today. I go and I visit her. I talk to her every day because she's in the last stages. She's 84. And... Um, so I just talk to her as if she's always been a wonderful mother. But I, it's hard for me. One thing I said to hold up for me, it's hard for me to send those gushy cards on Mother's Day. I can't do it. You've always been there. You were everything to me. I just buy the ones that say Happy Mother's Day. And then I go, I love you, daughter Jeannie. And I just, I just wipe out everything she's done to me because, you know what, it wasn't her fault. It's so strange to say. And I thought I could never say that, Lucy. Did that answer your question, how I healed my relationship with my mom? Twelve steps, rather. Yeah, and what is it in me, my character of defects? I couldn't heal my relationship because I'm so full of pride. How dare you treat me like that? I was this incorrigible brat. My, all my character defects popped up with my mom when I was a child. They were way ahead of me. They were 40 years before I knew what character defects were. They were out there when I was six years old. Lying, cheating, sneaking, you know. God, it's horrible. So, yes, sir. The foods that you eat that produce more now than when you were overweight. What are the foods that I eat now that I did not eat earlier? Um, what I eat now that I didn't eat, excuse me, um, sometimes I'll have a couple crackers. I don't like to do the crunchy munchy, though. That's kind of an addictive thing. And what do I eat now? Hmm. I'll tell you what I did not have for the first 10 years of my abstinence. It was pizza. And I have like two pieces a year now even. I still circle widely around that pizza. Or a Big Mac at McDonald's. My favorite restaurant in the world is McDonald's. Can you believe it? I've dined every fine restaurant in the world. I still go back to McDonald's. It's a fun food. So that's what I, and, but I'm very cautious about that. That's on my orange list. You know, red I cannot ever have. Orange is a big warning. Then I have yellow. And, of course, green. You know what that green is. Vegetables and Natural fruit. So what are the foods that you oh. eat now that permits you to not overeat? Oh, that permits you to not overeat? Prevents me. That prevents you from getting fat. What are the foods? Oh, that I see. You, well, you, ate, you eat more today than you used to eat. I, I meant, I'm sorry, I'm, forgive me, I meant variety. Variety. I, need more, I have more food choices today. My portions have reduced dramatically. But I have more choices. I meant I eat more variety today than I did. Uh, I can go into a 7-Eleven right now and have uh, for lunch two cheese sticks, bag of pretzels, um, a banana, and um, what else do I generally have? Almonds, raw almonds. That's my lunch. I wouldn't, you know, and that's, that's it. It fills me. It has all the protein, the fat, um, and, you know, a little thrill with the pretzels once in a while. Most of the time I don't have them, though, because if I start having them every day and I'm focusing too much on them, they have to go. Yes, sir. Yes. I would love you to uh, restate something incredibly valuable. You said if you're already there, like the food's in front of you, thus and so and thus and so, it already happened. Or oh, uh, she, uh, this, it's not me. It's my friend Valley Sherry today. She said it's too late when it's on the plate. Meaning? Meaning... <laughs> If I put large portions on my plate, I, I, I mean, most, most of the, 90% of the time I can, like, eat half or eat two-thirds. But if I'm in a weak moment, it's snowing out, blizzard, I'm ticked off, I have to tinkle or whatever, and I just throw it on the plate, and then it's hard for me to t- scrape it off a little bit if I'm in a weak moment. I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater. I still must be cautious about my portions. So if it's on there, it's hard for me to go, well, I'll eat two-thirds. I'd rather not do that. And yes, that's what yes, so. I think it's time. I'll, I'll answer your question after the meeting. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. Right.